Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good evening. I just heard about a church in New York that I was, I was there, Carthage, New York. It's way up there. They had like six feet of snow when we were there. They sang this song, and someone in the church didn't like it because they didn't like the term reckless. They said, God's love is not reckless. And I said, just the opposite. His love is reckless because it tears through strongholds, bondage. It tears through sin. It, it tears through... It tears through the blockades that, that the enemy tries to put in our life. And so the fact that his love is reckless, it tears through that. Listen, I didn't find God. He wasn't lost. He found me. I was lost. And so his love was reckless to tear through all of the, all of the junk that the enemy had imprisoned me with. And he found me. Amen. <laughs> I said, it's pretty reckless anyway. So, but, um, well, praise God. You know, it's, it's, uh, I was thinking when we were worshiping, you know, uh, I've said several times in my teaching, this is normal Christianity. And you get strange looks when I, when I sometimes teach because people think that, well, that, we've never heard that before. And, and I, I grant you sometimes we haven't, but, but, I think of what Leonard Ravenhill said in 1950. He said, the average Christian is so subnormal that if they ever get baptized with the Spirit and become normal, everyone thinks they're abnormal. We as a church, as a tribe, we need revival. My calls to return us to the ancient wells, to redig the ancient wells. And um, unfortunately, and I, I agree with, with, I said a, a statement last night on purpose, what I was teaching last night, you won't hear in mainstream Christianity. You just won't. The fact is, is we have become, as Nazarenes, Calvinistic secessionists. We, in the Nazarene church... There's those who don't believe that the nature can be transformed, and there's those in the Nazarene church that don't believe in the supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. So it's really fascinating. But this is not one of them, right? Five of you. I'm encouraged. (laughs) Okay. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And just a bit of a setup here with this chapter. Uh, Matthew chapter 21 is actually a a time of confrontation. Um, Jesus has been doing ministry in the out and about, if you will. He's been doing ministry in various places and traveling, as it were. But, But in Matthew chapter 21, he comes right into Jerusalem. He comes right to the very citadel, and that is the temple, the, what we would say the church. And 
What's interesting about this is that if Jesus has something to say, he's going to probably say it to the church. It's what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 17. It is time that judgment begins with the household of God. We can't point fingers at people in the world. It's time to, to look inward to the church. And um, I, I said to pastor, I said, tonight and tomorrow night, if we activate this, truly, there can be a transformation in the life of this church and this community. If we activate this. Not because it's my truth, but because it's absolute biblical truth. I'm absolutely convinced. And um, so, with that being said, look at Matthew chapter 21 and, and start reading with verse... Uh, well, let's start nine. Verse nine. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from from Nazareth in Galilee, verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple area, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? Look at verse 22. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Look at that again. Look at, look at verse 22. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Isn't that amazing? There's no asterisk that says, except for this, right? You don't have that in your Bible, do you? You don't have like a little... Like an asterisk that says, well, not including. And, and that's red letter, meaning that's what Jesus said. I mean, this, Paul says some profound things, but this wasn't Paul. Peter says some pretty profound, this isn't Peter, this is Jesus. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. 
Jesus walks right into the very citadel, right into the temple. We would say the church. He walks right into the church and he identifies it with something. In fact, it's in verse 13. He said, it is written, my house shall be, look at that word, called. The word called is a word that refers to identification. All of us have a name. That's what we are identified by. Names identify us. Jesus said the church, the temple, is going to be called something, identified as something. It's what we're going to know it for. An identification is what something is known for. That's its identity. And Jesus was placing an identity on the temple. He was placing an identity on the church. He is saying, this is what it's going to be known for. This is what everybody, when they point to it, oh yeah. They're all going to know that's exactly what the church is. It's called, it's identified as this. Ready? My house shall be called... A house of prayer. My house shall be identified as. My house shall be known as. My house shall have the, the ingredients of the, the nature of it, the, the culture of it, shall be a house of prayer. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that awesome? Some of you don't seem impressed. That's what Jesus said. My house shall be identified. Well, that was then. No, that is now. That is all time. Past, present, forever. That's what the church is to be known for. It is to be known for. It is to be a culture of prayer. When people point to it, oh yeah, that is to be the very identity of what a church is. Not a house of preach. And I love to preach. Not a house of singing. I love to sing. Not a house of discipleship. Pretty important. Not a house of Sunday school. Oh, yeah, we need that. All of those things are important. All of those things are an aspect of what the church is, the ecclesia. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said it is to be identified as a place that prays. I mean, above all else, we must pray. Above any other activity, we must pray. Think about it. Prayer must be the central activity of the church. Rhetorical question. Is it the central activity of this place? See, you have to answer that. And you can shrug your shoulders, but see, here's the thing. You're going to face the one who said this is what it's to be. Leonard Ravenhill once made the statement. He said, prayer in the average church is like a starting pistol before the main event. When prayer is the main event. Oh my gosh. Right? Have you ever been in churches where they just kind of kick things off with a prayer? Well, let's just say a little prayer and get going. What if all we did was pray? What if all we did was just pray. You know what? You would really find out who the real hungry ones are in the constituency of that body. 
Because a lot of people come to church to get something as opposed to coming to give something. Not a lot of smiles tonight. I'm telling you the truth is what he said. You got to take it up with him. My house shall be called a house of, Corey Jones said, prayer becomes the most assumed activity we never do in the church. Oh, my word. Uh, that's my best buddy. Uh, wow. My house shall be identified, known as a place of prayer. Well, what's prayer? The word prayer there is a word used 127 times in the New Testament. It's a compound word, persukimai. It comes from a root word that literally means to cry out. And the P-R-O-S the, the prefix to the word literally means to come in humility, brokenness, in a sense of prostration before him. So it's a place that humbly comes and cries out. It, 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 it's like this. This would be it. This is what it is. I think the church has become too dignified for that. I was in a church one time, and I said, come on, everyone, let's just lift our voices and begin to cry out. And you could have heard crickets. And God's not deaf. We don't need to scream at him. I understand that. But here's the deal. Whatever happened to the corporate cry for his presence? Whatever happened to it? I'll tell you what happened. The enemy has stolen our voice. The church has become so sophisticated it has become so tempered it has become so liturgical and quiet the desperate cry of God's people this is what Jesus said my house shall be known as a place that corporately cries in humility that corporately cries out for his presence that corporately says oh God we long for you we come to you we need you a place that corporately cries out. Rhetorical question. Is this one? See, it's a lost art. Everywhere I go across the nation, it's like, Prayers, well, yeah, we pray, but then we do everything else. But do we pray? Do we have that passion, that burn, that ache in our belly that says, we just got to pray. We got to cry out for his presence. And if we do nothing else, we've done everything. Because Jesus said, that's what our church is to be known for. A place that corporately cries out. Isaiah 58, 9 if you pray, he will answer. If you cry out, he will say, here I am. He's drawn to the cries of his people. See, crying out is the desperate cry of the, of the humble. It, it demonstrates the fact that we need him. You remember when Jesus was teaching on prayer in Luke 11? And Jesus says, I think it's like verse 8. And and. And the guy comes to 
his friend. Someone comes to his house at midnight, and he realizes, oh my gosh, i got to take care of this guy. So he goes to his friend, right, and he starts knocking on the door. And what did he say? He said, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Why? Because I have nothing. I have nothing. What's the point? Jesus is teaching about prayer. He's showing what prayer is all about. Here's the essence of prayer, ladies and gentlemen, and why we cry out. We're recognizing that without Him, we don't have anything. We're impoverished without Him. We have nothing without Him. We don't have programs. We don't have classes. We don't have buildings. We don't have worship. We don't have teaching. All of that stuff is nothing more than empty religious hollow mechanics without the manifest presence of God's glory. And the only way to bring the manifest presence of God's glory is to be a place that cries out to Him. And says in humility, we have nothing. If you don't come, we have nothing. If you don't move, we have nothing. If you don't manifest yourself, we have nothing. We have nothing. No one's going to be impressed with the teaching, the Sunday school class, the kids' ministries, the worship. No one in the long run is going to be impressed with any of it any of that. The only thing that's going to reshape a human life or rescue a marriage or touch someone in bondage or someone who has an addiction is the weighty presence of God's glory that comes in answer to the cries of God's people. It's the only thing, church. And I'll say this as gently as I know how. If this church here does not become a place that corporately cries out, it'll cease to exist. It just will. It'll become a hollow shell. And all across the nation, churches have become, they've drifted, they've digressed from movements to monuments. Why? Because there's no desperation and passion for His presence. There's no fervor. There's no cry. There's no, oh God, we got to have bread. We've got to have your spirit. We've got to have you move. There's no cry. There's no cry. There's no ache in the belly of people's hearts that says, we've got to have you. And Jesus said, that's what my house is known for. Prayer. Well, in this passage, let me give you the cost and the blessings. The cost of being a house of prayer and the blessing to being a house of prayer. Number one, let's start with the cost. The cost, number one, the cost. First of all, (laughs) we must repent for corrupting the atmosphere. (laughs) We'll get to the blessing, but let's walk through this. Check this out. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Are you ready? But you are making it a robber's. You are making it a robber's. You are making it a robber's den. See, if the atmosphere of our temple is a robber's den... It has nothing to do with the culture. It has nothing to do with the climate. It has nothing to do with financial pressure. 
The, the atmosphere of our culture is produced by the constituency of a combined body. And Jesus said to these guys here, you are making it what it is. And if we're going to see, ladies and gentlemen, any change, we've got to repent for what the culture is. We've got to repent. We got to say, God, we're sorry. We're sorry that we've let the enemy steal our voice. We're sorry that we've done everything else but cry out. We're sorry that, 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 that this is not an atmosphere of transformation. We're sorry that the atmosphere is a robber's den. Cost number two. We must allow Jesus to overthrow certain activities. Look at this. Look at verse 12. And he entered the temple area, and check this out. He drove out all who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Now, when I was growing up, that was always used for a verse to say that we couldn't buy and sell on Sunday. That has nothing to do with that. Fact of the matter is, those who were in the temple with money changers and those who were selling doves were supposed to be there. They were providing religious services for people who were coming from miles around to offer their sacrifice in the temple. This was Passover. This is two and a half million Jews jammed in Jerusalem to come for this religious festival. This is one of the most prominent things Jews would do is gather for Passover. So they would come and they would go to the temple and they would, they would buy an animal. They would buy a, a, a dove to go into the temple and, and sacrifice it. So the fact that someone was there providing a religious service was supposed to be there. They were and how about money changers? Well, you couldn't use secular currency with Caesar's face on it in the temple. So you had to take secular currency and exchange it for temple currency. And the money changers exchanged the temple currency, the, the secular currency, the temple currency, and, and, the, and the, those selling the, the, the animals were supposed to be there to provide something for people making sacrifices in the temple. What's my point? My point is they were religious customs. They inherently were not wrong, but they were preventing the church, the temple, from being a house of prayer. What type of religious services have we become so accustomed to in the modern-day church that actually stand in the way to His manifest presence coming? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, Rob. There's nothing wrong with us doing that. There's nothing wrong. No, there's nothing wrong with it. But maybe Jesus wants to overthrow those things so that he can actually make a, a house of prayer right here. Amen. Amen. Woo. Number three. This is huge. Watch this. The third cost. 
we must be willing to push past religious spirits. Do we dare hit that one? Now watch this. Look at, look at verse 15. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the, look at this, wonderful things. Say that again. Look at this. When the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things, not horrible, not despicable, not despisable. No, they saw the wonderful things that he had done. And then the children shouting, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Check this out. They became indignant. Do you know anyone who's ever become indignant? You know what the word indignant means? Greatly annoyed. Just ticked off. Just ticked off. Just mad. Just mad. I've seen a few faces like that from time to time when I've preached. I've seen the glare. It's not the person. It's a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit. People are never the problem. It's, we don't fight against flesh and blood. Paul said that in Ephesians 6. People are never the issue. People are only tools that the enemy manipulates. The problem is, is a religious spirit. I'm here to tell you, listen to me. A religious spirit will fight any church that tries to go after the manifest presence of God. It will fight. I told you Sunday, the hardest thing about Sunday mornings is religious spirits. They were here Sunday. It's even thick now. You know why? Because religious spirits fight against going after the truth. Fight going after the presence of God. Religious spirits are nothing new. They were fighting Jesus. His whole earthly ministry for three and a half years was a contention against religious spirits. And you know what's happened, don't you? Religious spirits have settled right into the church. Religious spirits have settled right into committee and board members. And this religious spirit pushes against this idea of we're going to go after the presence. And even though wonderful things are happening in the temple, religious spirits move people to become very indignant. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. One church was praying. Power of God was moving. People started coming, getting born again. It was awesome. They started coming by the droves. But the people that were coming were riffraff. The very type of people that the church of the Nazarene once went after. The riffraff, the poor, the despicable, right? They started coming but because they came and they were riffraff, they came and they were dirty and they didn't know how to behave in church. And so they would write and, 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 and the kids would draw on the pews with crayons and stuff like that. And some of the adults saw that and they became indignant. And he said, Pastor, we got to do something about this. About what? 
we got to do something about all these people. You mean all these people who are getting born again? All these people who are finding Jesus Christ? All of these families that are being reconciled? All of these homes that are being brought to the manifest presence of God? we got to do something about that? Yeah, several of us were talking. <laughs> well, that's the problem. You're talking to each other and you're not talking to God. Several of us were talking, they said. We just don't like all these people. What is that? It's a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit. It cripples churches. It stifles pastors. It ruins ministries. It squelches the work of the Spirit. It's why the manifest presence of God is not flowing so freely in churches across America. What's stifling it? Well, it's the economy. Well, we're just so busy. Well, it's, no, it's a religious spirit. It's a religious spirit. It's that dark, legalistic spirit that doesn't want the manifest presence of God's glory to move watch this go with me you got your bibles go to matthew 10 look at matthew 10 verse 24 just just turn left for a moment matthew 10 verse 24 matthew 10 look at verse 24 matthew 10 verse 24 are you ready check this out a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master it is enough for a disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign the members of his household? If they went after Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going to get maligned by what? A religious spirit. Anyone who is passionate for Jesus is taking all kinds of hits today. I could begin to name leaders right now. Dan Bohai, me, all of us, Corey. We're taking hits. Did you know my picture's not in everybody's wallet? It's just amazing. I thought everybody loved me, but apparently they don't. It's amazing how... Pastors and leaders across America who are doing great things for God are getting lambasted on the internet because they're going after the manifest presence of God. They absolutely get torn apart. They are getting maligned by what? A religious spirit. They did it to Jesus. They're getting it. Check this out. Go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Just turn right. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. Look at this. Matthew 12, verse 9. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue. And a man was there whose hand was withered. And check this out. And they questioned him. Jesus, is it lawful? Stop right there. A religious spirit wants to know what's lawful. Not what's graceful. 
A religious spirit is always after the duty of the law and not the freedom of the grace. Mark it down. That religion always operates in old covenant mindset. A wineskin that keeps us straddled by legalism. And you guys know, I don't need to tell you this, Indiana is thick with legalism. Thick. This is the traditional Bible belt, and it's absolutely thick in this area. This is one of the toughest areas through Indiana because of the religious, the, 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 this legalistic spirit, and people are locked into a paradigm of legalism, and so they're always asking what's lawful, not what's graceful. Amen. Amen. It's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Check this out. Look at this. Look at this. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal? Now we got someone who's crippled. We got someone who's maligned by a by a disease. We 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 got someone who is sickened by something and we want to know if it's lawful to heal. See, a religious spirit does not value the person. A religious spirit doesn't care about transformation. They're only looking at the legality of something. And they weren't asking because they were really curious about what the word said. It says here, they were looking for something that they might accuse him. See, it was all about an accusation. Verse 11. And he said, what man is there among you who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take a hold of it and lift it out? I mean, come on, you're going to do that for an animal? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he says this to the man who was crippled. Stretch out your hand. And he restores the man. The guy has a crippled hand, and Jesus restores it. Now think about this. Think about someone who's crippled, who's maligned, whose whole life has been interrupted by by a crippled limb. They can't work. They can't provide for their family. Socially, they're, they're seen as something that have someone who has sinned because in this culture if you were if you were physically lame you had sinned somehow and Jesus heals the guy look at verse 14 look at this but the pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him that's a religious spirit right now in churches there are board meetings conspiring together to destroy their leaders because their leaders want to pray. Do you realize, gang, since 2009, I've gotten calls from pastors all over the nation who's, who's, who are telling me, I've got people in my church who are trying to run me out of here because I'm going after the presence of God. Do you guys understand? This is real stuff. I'm on the phone almost every week with a pastor that is telling me his church is coming against him because he's asking his people to cry out for the presence. As if he's like slitting the throat of a goat on the altar. 
There's a conspiracy against leaders who want to go after the presence. What is that? It's the dark religious spirit. Let me show you one more. Look at, look at Matthew 12, verse 22. Just drop down. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus and he healed him so that the man could speak and he could see. The crowds were amazed. Look at verse 24. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Do you know what's fascinating about that? Is Jesus went on to say, I can only do this because the kingdom of God has come. The Pharisees were so riddled by a religious spirit, they couldn't discern the authentic activity of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to me. Listen to me real careful. Listen. A religious spirit will blind us to the point that when an authentic move of the Holy Spirit occurs in these walls, we'll begin to denigrate the very thing that we need most. Do you see what I'm saying? We'll begin to push back against the presence of the Spirit, the thing that we need, calling it something weird because we haven't seen it for so long. And the problem is, is a religious spirit will literally shut down and quench the activity of the Holy Spirit. Is this making sense tonight? I know it's very quiet. I'm telling you the truth tonight. Jesus told me I had to teach this tonight. See, this is a demarcation, not that I'm here, but I believe that if this church will become a house of prayer, pay the price, pay the cost, will we'll, we'll repent for allowing an atmosphere to be corrupted. Repent and allow Jesus to overthrow anything he wants to overthrow. And, and, and this church says, we don't care what religious spirits rise up, we're going to be a house of prayer this church right here could become a pinnacle of transformation. Right here. See, I've seen it. I've seen it. For almost a decade across the nation. I've seen it. So that's the cost. God, we're sorry. The atmosphere, we're sorry. We're, we're sorry that it's that it's dark and difficult and heavy. We're sorry for that. I mean, listen, I'm just being raw. I'm just being honest. Darcy asked me what I thought Sunday morning. Sunday morning was great, but it was heavy. No Nazarene church should ever be heavy. It should be weighty with the glory, but it shouldn't be heavy. It's not what P.F. Brzee ever wanted in the Church of the Nazarene. He wanted a place to be where the glory habitated. Amen? Come on. We can repent for that. We can say, Jesus, overthrow anything you want to overthrow in this church. If anything gets in the way of us being a house of prayer, take it out. When I came back from my sabbatical... 
12 years ago at my church, we canceled all activities. Every activity, we just canceled them. We just canceled them. You say, why? Because they were good ideas, but not God ideas. We were busy doing lots of stuff. We, we were doing this, doing that, doing that. I mean, we, just, we had it all gone, man. We were a church just under 200, and we had it all happening. And all of that stuff, we just canceled all the activities. Why? Because we went after his presence. So, so, so not only do we repent, but you have to let Jesus overthrow activities. You have to let Jesus, see, you have to ask him, is this in the way of us going after you? See, I think sometimes even our, our Sunday morning formats can be in the way of him. I, I really do. I, I, I joke sometimes. You know what Sunday morning formats are? Agendas we create in case the presence doesn't show up. Then we know what to do. I see that went over well. I'm serious. What would happen if we just gathered here at 1015 on Sunday morning and all we did was just cry out? Just Just pray. Well, what would seekers, what would unbelievers think? They'd probably think you're a house of prayer. And if you're going to be a house of prayer, you have to push past religious spirits. And it's not fun because you'll get criticized. You'll you'll get... There's a cost. But there's a blessing. And let me end with the blessing. Number one. Blessing number one. It is an alignment to the word. And see, I want to align myself to the word. I don't want to align myself with, with some theologian. I, I don't want to align myself with what people say. I don't want to align myself with the norm. I, I don't want to align myself with statistics. I, I don't want to align myself with anything. I want to align myself to the Word. The only way we're going to get biblical results is we got to follow biblical mandates. Do, do you see what I'm saying? It's the only way, gang. So I'm not making this up tonight. This isn't just a a, a pep talk because, no, this is truth. Because I came here on assignment by God to share truth with you. My heart's been heavy. It has. It's been heavy before I got here, while I'm here, because I want this church to prevail. I want this church to prevail. And incidentally, I don't talk to pastors. I, I didn't get a list of what's going on in this church before I came here. I don't roll that way, just so we know. Because sometimes pastors will call me two weeks later. I had someone come to me and say, did you tell Rob? No. He didn't tell me. Okay. It's an alignment to the word. Look what Jesus said. Look at verse 13. Ready? <laughs> Look at this. It is written. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Isn't that awesome? Don't you love it? You don't seem to be as stoked as I am. <laughs> it is written. <laughs> Basically, he's saying, Jesus is saying, you guys understand that this business of being a house of prayer 
has already been established in the text. This is already, Isaiah prophesied about this. Isaiah already set this in motion. This business of being a house of prayer, Jesus said, it isn't just my idea. I didn't just stand up and scratch and wing this one. Hey, no, this is written. This is in the word. We must be a house of prayer. Gang, when we pray, we align ourselves to the word. Isn't that awesome? Just for fun, a few weeks, a few months ago rather, I pulled out my phone and I just randomly wrote down as many verses that I could think about concerning prayer. Here's just a few. Watch this. In the Word. Ready? Matthew 18, 19. Jesus says, if two of you agree, <laughs> you gotta get <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Two people actually agreeing. Anyway. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it shall be done for them. Isn't that awesome? How about Luke 18, verse 1? And Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. At all times they should pray and not lose heart. How about Romans 12, 12? Ready? Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Ephesians 6.18. With all prayer, with all petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Wow. Philippians 4.6. Be anxious for nothing. Never be anxious. Never. Never, 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 never be anxious, the word says. Never. How? How can we live without anxiety? Oh, in everything, in prayer, in supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. I like this. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. I like this one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. How about 1 Timothy 2, verse 8? Therefore, I want men everywhere in every place to pray. Women, too, but... Jude, verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You see, prayer aligns us to the Word, gang. Prayer aligns us to the Word. Um, when we pray, we're in alignment with truth. We're in alignment with what's been established. Second blessing. Check this out. Second blessing. There'll be a release of healing. Check this out. Look at, look at verse 14. It says, And the blind, the preposition can be translated then. It's very important because... It's implying that the blind, the needy, the lame, the handicapped could not get into the religiosity of the temple prior to Jesus cleansing it and establishing it as a house of prayer. So it was like they were on the outside. They couldn't get in. But the moment Jesus cleansed it and, and, and declared it to be a house of prayer, look at this. Then the blind 
and the lame came to him in the temple. Look at this. And he healed them. I'm telling you, when we become a house of prayer, a place that corporately cries out for his presence, the, the result of that is people will be healed. People will be healed. It just will. I'll never forget 12 years ago when the Holy Spirit came on our church. Holy Spirit just moved powerfully. I told you the other night, just quickly to repeat, I came back to my church. Our church was about 10 years old. Um, I was at my church for 21 years before we resigned it. And so the first 10 years, we had created basically a church that was like a program. It, it replicated a church in Chicago, and it was a show. We had the best show in town. It was a 90-minute show. Curtains would open. The band would start. We had saxophone, man. It was just, we had everything. It, just, it was a show. It was a 90-minute show. We had people. We had programs. We just didn't have the presence. And after my seven-week sabbatical, after I had an encounter with the glory, I came back to my church, and, and I repented. I actually repented. 12, 12 years ago, tears running down my face, and I repented for pastoral malpractice. And here's what I said to the church. I said, we've been trying to attract people, but we haven't been attracting the presence. Can we have both? Yeah, but if we had to make a choice, what's more important? The presence. Do we want people or the presence? The presence. Got to have the presence. In fact, I think if we have the presence, he'll draw the people. And so I'm weeping, and I just said, I want the presence. I want the presence of God. I, I want to I be a place that just creates a, like a, like a, and I don't want visitations, because I'm not an orphan. I want habitation. I want him to come and rest with us. And all of our people came forward. They were just happy to see me back after seven weeks, and we all started crying out, oh, God, we want revival. And I've always said to churches, be careful what you ask for. One church cried out for revival. When it came, they described it this way. It was like we were in a corner someplace saying, here, kitty, 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 and the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is, is the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up 12 years ago. Now watch this. For one year, for one year, I saw more stuff than I've ever seen in my, my life, ever. And I was raised in the church. I was raised in camp meetings, people shouting and throwing songbooks like, you know, a Nazarene church. I went to the camp meeting in Columbus, Ohio with, you know, all the greats, Don Pfeiffer, all of them. They all came. Charles Hastings Smith, they'd all come. People would run, shout, get healed. And it was just, just crazy. Never saw anything like this. Twelve years ago, I just saw the power of God manifest in ways that were incredible. Now watch this. The presence began to touch people. And it wasn't what we could do. It was what he was doing. See the difference? See, that's what we're talking about here. When we cry out for the presence, the presence will come and then the presence will do the work of ministry. The anointing is what transforms people. It's not us. It's not our efforts. It's not our singing and our preaching and all that we do. That is not what changes people. It's the weighty presence of God's glory. Now, he uses all of that stuff. He uses all of the mechanics. But if all of the mechanics are not bringing the presence, we ought to probably stop doing the mechanics, get on our face and say, God, we really need your presence. 
And that's what we did 12 years ago. We just suspended all activities. And we just got on our face and said, God, come. We need your glory. And the glory came. And I'm telling you, it came so hard, so strong. It was unbelievable. I told you Sunday, we had more people born again in one year than we did in 10 years trying to do it our way. We, 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 had, we had families get rejuvenated. We, we, had, we, had, we had people bound in homosexuality get free of that and reconcile with their spouse. We had drug-addicted people get free. We had demonically oppressed people actually come to the altar and leave different than the way they came. How many people are going to come and go in a church and never be changed? How, how many songs are we going to sing about freedom, but yet people still leave in bondage? How many more services are we going to endure where people leave the same way they came? Gang, there's got to be a change, man. There has to be a weighty presence and a move of God's Spirit in this atmosphere that truly changes and transforms people's lives. Has to happen. That is normal church. Normal church is not people coming for an hour and a half, sitting there and going home the same way they came, having done their little religious bit. A Sunday morning service should be a time where we encounter the weighty presence of God's glory and we stumble out of here knowing that we have walked in the midst of the divine. Do you guys hunger for that? Come on, man. Do you hunger for that? And then healing, restoration. And you understand the word healing there is not like just one type of healing. It's, it's, it's the totality of healing, mind, body, and spirit. In this case, it was, it was people came in and, and they just got healed. The blind started to see. I'll never forget when a woman who had severe back pain, severe, and if any of you have ever had back pain, you know how crippling it is. She couldn't get up. She couldn't sit down. She couldn't get into a car. It was horrendous pain for 30 years. I'll never forget the Sunday when she came forward and the power of God touched her just instantly. She turned around and she just started saying, I've been healed. I've been healed. No more pain. I've been healed. No more pain. She went home saying to her husband, I've been healed. I've been healed. She woke up the next morning. I've been healed. No more pain. No more pain. I've been healed. I've been healed. She came back the next week. I've been healed. No more pain. No more pain. If that ever happens, gang, I promise you, people won't be able to shut up. If anyone in this place ever gets healed of chronic pain, if anyone in this place ever gets delivered from cancer, if anyone in this place ever gets out of a wheelchair, I'm here to tell you they probably won't be quiet about it. And you know what happened? They would come up and they would share their testimony. And then more people would get touched. And then they would share their testimony. And then more people would get touched. Do you know why? Because a healing atmosphere is an atmosphere that begins to draw people into it. 
I promise you, if the blind see, the lame walk, and the deaf hear, cancer is healed, I promise you, if that kind of stuff happens within these walls, you won't have to do slogans and slick programs. You won't have to try to advertise and, and do wing, you know, pizzazz services. I promise you, if the glory is in this place and people are getting transformed, they'll come from the east, the south, and the north, and the west. Come on, church. Come on. Do, 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 you, do you know why young people quit going to church? It's just stinking boring. I wouldn't want to go to the average church. Are you kidding me? I've been in some churches where I've had to preach in them, and I'm thinking, holy smokes, you're serious? I don't want a three-ring circus in the name of the Lord. I want an atmosphere to be supercharged with the manifest presence of God's glory, man. I want to see young people and old people and middle-aged people getting touched by the presence of God. That's what I want to see. I want to see people come in from off the street and kneel and get born again. I want to see believers say, i got to get my heart sanctified. I, I, I want to see people get delivered from addictions. How much more are we going to endure with addictions in the church? 21 days of this and, and, and 40 days of that. And I'm not against all that stuff. But one solid encounter with the glory of God. And I'm here to tell you people will be different. We've coddled sin. We've not brought sin to the cross and allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to crucify it. We've tried to disciple sin. You can't disciple sin. It's got to be cleansed. And an encounter with the glory will change people. You never saw anything like it, gang. Yeah, we took some hits. Some people left our church. Yeah, they did. But that's okay. Many people came. Many families came. People came from all over the nation. We had pastors and leaders come who were broken and in despair. We, we just saw so many miracles in the last decade. I, I could just tell you story after story after story after story after story of people being touched, rejuvenated, healed, delivered, set free. Why? His glory. And we, we, had a, we had a Wednesday night prayer meeting we called the river. And we just prayed. We just cried out. We called it a river because we didn't have any agenda. It was just Holy Spirit led. It was awesome. I want this to be a place... I want this to be a place that aligns itself to the word and begins to experience healing in these walls. I want to see that. I want to come back in, in, in a couple of years. I'm inviting myself back. I haven't asked. Are they smiling? I, I want to come back in a couple of years. And I want to walk into an atmosphere of healing and restoration. Through precious people like you who are just crying out. Let me give you the third and final blessing. 
my gosh. Are you ready? It'll be an atmosphere of true worship. Check this out. Are you ready? Verse 15. The chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. Check this out. And the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. There was no problem with worship. They weren't, they weren't arguing over worship wars. They weren't saying, well, I don't know if we ought to have the words on the screen or a book in our hand. I don't know if I like that song. I don't See, it doesn't matter. When the authentic presence is in the atmosphere, it doesn't matter if you're singing rock and roll or polka. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When the authentic presence of God's glory is in the atmosphere, listen, I'm here to tell you, all of us will worship. Did, did you read what happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse, uh, I think it's like 7. It says when, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, when he dedicated the temple and the glory came, and the Shekinah of God's glory came, he's all right. I was worse than that when I was his age. I'd crawl all the way from the front and back. Don't do it. <laughs> it seriously, it doesn't bother me. It's all right. Check this out. Second Chronicles chapter 5, when the glory came, it says the fire of God fell, and it says, and the assembly, their face hit the pavement. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, what I'm saying? When the glory comes, everyone will worship. See, we won't have to say stand or clap your hands or come on, everybody, let's get into this. You won't need to do that. Listen, when the glory comes, I promise you, people will worship. You know why people don't worship today? Because there's no glory. Tell you a couple of things else about this is the worship will be prophetic in nature. It'll be prophetic in nature. What do I mean by that? Jesus said this. He said, it's the nursing babes who have prepared, literally perfected the right kind of worship. And what were they, what were they saying? They were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were literally prophesying the messianic title of who Jesus was. Here's what I want to say. When worship follows the manifest presence of God's glory, it'll be prophetic in nature. This is even hard to describe in Nazarene churches because we don't even have concepts of what this means. But true prophetic worship is when an atmosphere begins to sing new song under the Lord. I'm not talking about singing in tongues, so don't get weird on me. I'm talking about just singing a new prophetic melody under the Lord. Where a song begins to rise in the hearts of God's people who are in the presence of God. Check this out. Right now, worship is going on around the throne. We never start worship. We only try to enter into one that's already going on. Prophetic worship 
has the capacity to pray in such a manner that we're tuned into the frequency of heaven and we're able to capture what's happening around the throne right now and bring that into this atmosphere here and then we all get caught up in the heavenly song and we all start singing prophetically unto him. I know, wow. I've been in a few services like that, sweetheart. I've been in a few services like that. And it's just an atmosphere of heaven that has invaded earth. But, but, but see, I, I don't mean to be mean. I'm, I'm not, this isn't toward you. This is general. Most churches have no understanding of that. Most churches see songs as serial filler to the message. It's not serial filler to the message. The greatest thing that we can do is have an encounter with His presence Music is just a vehicle that helps us get there. But please understand, when the atmosphere becomes prophetic, nobody's going to want to go anywhere. We're singing heavenly song unto Him. We're commanded to sing a new song. Psalm 33.3, David says, sing unto Him a new song. What is a new song? It's a prophetic song. The last thing I'll say about worship, it was spearheaded by what? Children. That's why Energizer Bunny here doesn't bother me. That stuff used to tick me off no more. Where else would I want that kid? Don't point to your mama there, boy. You're going to get yourself in trouble. I still believe in paddling, but... My point is this, I love kids. You know what we've done? We've stuck them off in the corner and we showed them veggie tails and gave them pizza when we should take kids like that and lay hands on them and ask them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know what Peter said in Acts 2.17? When the, when the Spirit is poured out in the last days, children will what? Prophesy. When was the last time a child took a mic and prophesied in this place? Prophesied. I don't mean be cute. Prophesied. Actually spoke prophetically. About six weeks ago, Cindy and I were in a service, a Nazarene church, and this kid stood up, maybe about 10, 11, and began to speak prophetically over the house. Yeah, wow. We were like, the whole service just shifted. Jesus said, it's the children, the nursing infants. What was he saying? Children are going to spearhead the prophetic atmosphere of worship in the church. It's going to be the children. Do you know in Argentina, the ministry team are children. They're nine-year-olds who are laying hands on people and speaking over them and casting out demons and cleansing the lepers. Do you know in Africa, my friend, in Africa, it's the children who are raising the dead and laying hands on people and seeing the miracles. It's the children. It's the children leading the way. I was just telling Mark that right now there's children's ministries where children are actually being taught the things of the Spirit, being taught how to flow in the Spirit. Lay hands, pray, speak, prophesy. It's the children who should be leading the way. Listen, if our generation does not impart that to a younger generation and expect them to go higher than us, this thing's going to die out. And pity tell, what are we imparting to our younger generation? 
In a lot of churches across America, it's nothing more than dead, boring religion. Kids are growing up in an atmosphere where they don't see any life. What a tragedy. Kids like this and others need to see the weighty presence of God's glory. And then they need to lead the way to become prophetic in nature. That's the blessing. I've seen it in some places. (laughs) I would have loved to have stood up here and just told jokes all night and had you laughing. But as sure as I'm standing here, Holy Spirit told me to teach this tonight. Yeah. I want this to be a house of prayer. Jesus wants this to be a house of prayer. If this place steps across the threshold. Now tomorrow night I'm going to talk about city transformation. City transformation is the next step. Because it's not about just this church being revived. It's about the community being touched. But this community will never be touched if this place isn't touched. So we can't bring transformation if we haven't experienced transformation. And transformation always begins when we become the recipients of the weighty presence of God's glory. Are you with me? Got to be a house of prayer. Got to be a house of prayer. Well, you guys know how I do invitations. Right? I'm just straightforward. If you want to become a house of prayer and you're willing to repent, say, God, uproot whatever you need to uproot. And God, I'll be willing to push past any religious spirit. I'm in. If that's you, I want you to come and kneel at the altar. Okay? Come on, we're going to pray. Yeah, it's demarcation. If you don't want it, that's fine. But if you want it, come on. Come on. It's a demarcation. Come on, man. It's a demarcation. Wow. Well, come on. Let's begin, first of all, with repentance. Can we do that? That's hard. That's hard. No one likes to repent. But come on, I want us to begin to repent. God, we're, we're, we're sorry for an atmosphere that, that is not filled with the weighty presence of the glory. Come on, we repent. Come on, just lift your voices. Come on. Father, we're, we're sorry for this community, for the, for, for the way this community is, God. We're, we're sorry that, that, God, that there's drugs and immorality, and, and God, the church is responsible for that. We're sorry. Come on, God. We, we repent. We do. We're sorry, God, for community, God, that, that uh, it, 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 it lays in ruins, God. In fact, of the matter is, God, it's the church that has the, the, the responsible call of God to bring transformation to our city. So God, we repent. We do, Father. We, we pray, God, that you, God, would truly forgive us. We want, God, we really want to make a turnaround. We really want to change our minds in regards to this, God. We really do. 
We really do. We really want to change our minds in regards to being a house of prayer. We want, to, we want God to become people who see that as the nature and as the call of the church. We really do. So, Father, we repent. Come on, tell Jesus that he's free to overthrow anything he wants. Ah, come on. Come on, tell him in your own life. What's Jesus want to overthrow in your own life? Come on, what gets in the way of you being a house of prayer in your home? Maybe it's your TV. Come on, maybe it's sports. Maybe it's your iPhone. Maybe it's, come on, what is it? What, what, what stands in the way of you being a house of prayer? And then what stands in the way of this church being a house of prayer? And would you be willing to say, okay, Jesus, overthrow it. Come on, it doesn't have to necessarily be evil. It just has to be something that's in the way. So come on, God, overthrow. Come on, overthrow. Overthrow activities, God. Overthrow religious things, God, that get in the way. Overthrow, God, good things that are not God things. Overthrow, God, things that that make us busy and uptight and tense and stressed, God, that have little to do with you. Overthrow things, God, that, that, God, we do, but not what you want to do through us. Come on, God, overthrow all that stuff, God. Overthrow it, God. The busyness that preoccupies our minds, God. Just the, the push, the rush, the shove, the go. When, oh God, that is not what you're calling us to, Jesus. So God, overthrow that stuff, God. Overthrow it in our life. And God, overthrow it in this church, Jesus. What activities in this church, God, are not really, God, activities you've called this church to do? It's not for me to say. It's for you to say. So God, what is it? You show God the, the, the leadership. You show pastor. You, you show, oh God, the, 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 the staff. You show them, God, what stands in the way to your weighty presence, God. Show them, God. But what we're saying, God, across the front, what we're saying across the front is that, God, we are saying overthrow any activity in my life or in this church that stands in the way. Huh. Maybe you might want to overthrow some people that stand in the way. Well, that's fine too, God. Not everybody's going to sail this ship. I understand that, God. As a pastor for almost 30 years, we had people come in, we had people go. I understand that, Father. And, and maybe, maybe that's part of it, God. I don't like to see it, but maybe that's the part of it, God. So if there are those, God, that are going to stand in the way and be a hindrance, God, then, Father, maybe, maybe that has to be overthrown. I don't know. I don't know. It's up to you. It's your church. It's yours. Number three. Father, every one of us across the front here are saying we're willing to pay the price of religious spirits that are going to come against us. Right? Come on. Amen? Because they're going to come strong. Religious spirits ultimately went after Jesus. Religious spirits are what led the leaders to cry out, we want Barabbas, not Jesus. So Father, right now, the fact is that if we, 
if we go hard after you, if we press in for your manifest presence, if we go after your glory, the fact is, God, if we really want you more than we want the applause of mankind, in the final analysis, God, we're probably going to be crucified. We're probably going to have to take up our cross and follow you. Because the fact of the matter is, God, every demonic being in hell hates a church that prays, that goes after your presence. We can do anything and everything else in the church, but the moment we humble ourselves and begin to cry out, the moment we prostrate ourselves before you and say, Oh God, come, Holy Spirit, move. The moment we come and we literally in humility say, We choose to have you and you alone in this church. God, the moment we do that, God, religious spirits are going to rise up. They're going to come out of the woodwork, Father. They're going to challenge us on every front. We're going to get emails. We're going to get letters. God, we're, 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 going, to get, we're going to get texts. God, people are going to meet us in the lobby, in the foyer. People are going to conspire in restaurants, God, and talk. It is, God. They're going to do everything they can to demise and, and to ridicule. And so, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just bind every curse, every hex, every vexation, every incantation, every negative thing that is ever leveled against this church now and tomorrow and any other day. We, we decree and declare it's null and void by the blood of Jesus Christ and renders no effect on this church. We say in Jesus' name that this church, God, will push past every religious spirit because 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God, this church will prevail. This church will be a prevailing church. Now, come on. I want you now to begin to everyone. Lift your voices and begin to cry out for the presence of God's glory. Come on, church. Come on. We need his presence. We need his glory. So, Father, we're asking, let your glory come, O God. Come on, let your glory come. Let your glory rest in this place, God. Teach us how to be a people, God, that cry out, God. Teach us how to be a people, Father, that cry out to you, Father. Just as your disciples said, teach us to pray, God. Teach this church to pray. Come on, God, teach these people, teach these precious people, God, how to cry out, God, how to beckon your presence, how to humbly come before you and say, we have nothing unless you show up. We have nothing. We don't have a program. We, we, don't, have a, we don't have a teaching. We, we, we don't have a Sunday school department. We, we don't have a youth program. We, 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 don't, we don't have a song. We don't have a worship team. We have nothing unless you show up, God. Nothing. We need you. We need your presence, oh God. And so, God, like the man that said, I have no bread, we say to you tonight, God, we have nothing unless you show up. We're impoverished. We are impoverished, impoverished, God, completely unless you show up, God. Every time we commence, every time we corporately gather, God, we're saying we need your weighty presence, God. We need your weighty presence, God. So, Father, let your glory come. Let your glory come. I pray, Father, these precious people, I pray, Father, that they'll be willing to wait on your presence. Come on. They'll be willing to tarry until you come. 
Now, I don't know, God, how you're going to orchestrate prayer in this church. I, don't, I have no idea what the agenda is going to be. It's not for me to even know. But I am praying, God, that you so arrange this church around a house of prayer that this becomes an atmosphere of healing, of restoration. This becomes an atmosphere where the glory of God starts to manifest. This becomes an atmosphere where the presence of God is so thick that it draws people from the east, the south, the north, and the west. God, I'm asking that your glory move in this place in such a weighty manner that anyone that sits in these seats that are compromising God would literally begin to shake under the conviction of the weighty presence of God's glory. God, I can remember the days, God, the early days of the Church of the Nazarene, even back, God, when John Wesley would preach, God, the people would be so under conviction they would begin to shout out and wail. I can remember the stories in early Nazarene church where the glory was so thick that people would begin to scratch the pews, God, with their fingernails because they would be under conviction. Uh, God, I am praying that the presence of God's glory is so convicting in this atmosphere that people would literally shake God until they get right with you. They, are, they, they wouldn't run out of here from you. They would run to you, God. They would literally, God, shake in conviction. God, I pray that if people are compromising, God, in the body of believers here, Father, that your Holy Spirit, God, will be what the old timers used to say, the hound of heaven, and your Holy Spirit will disturb their appetite and disturb their sleep and, and disturb, oh God, their work day. Disturb them in such a manner. Make them restless till they get rest in you, God. Come on, Father. We mean business, God. We do. We're not playing games and neither is the enemy, God. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And God, it's time that the church, God, wakes up. It's time that the church becomes God. Not, God, some sleeping sentry on the walls, God, when the enemy is plundering our families and our homes and our children, God. It's time the church arises, oh God, and becomes, God, the spirit-filled militant church that you've called us to be God. It's time our church arises, God, out of her slumber and our church, God, begins to declare war on the principalities of darkness, God, in this community. It's time the church arises, God, and becomes everything, God, that she was intended to be, that the church becomes, God, what you gave your blood for it to be, God. It's time that our churches, God, become a church without spot, without wrinkle, a glorious church. God, that is wrapped, God, in your glory. Father, a righteous church, a church without blemish, O oh God. And may this one here, God, may Muncie, First Church of the Nazarene, God, be a place where the weighty presence of your glory dwells, O oh God, and moves mightily in and through these halls and in and through these rooms, O oh God. I pray that when people step, O oh God, on this perimeter of the property of these 28 acres, God. They'll come under the weighty presence of your glory. They'll feel the weight of your glory when their feet, God, hit the pavement or the grass, oh God. I'm praying, oh God, that you begin to move mightily, God, in this church. Powerfully, God. Oh God, move, God, move. Shake, God, the foundations of this church, Jesus. Come on, God. 
We break off, God, what has been done in the past, God. We break off the trauma. We break off the hurt. We break off what has been decreed and declared. God, I I hear in the atmosphere that someone cursed this church and said it'll never grow. We break that off in the name of Jesus, God. It is null and void. We decree and declare that this is a prevailing church and it will grow in the glory and in the presence of God. Father, we say now in Jesus' name, this is a blessed church, God, coming and going. Its people is blessed. Its finances are blessed, God. Father, right now, God, we pray move on people, God, who are robbing you in their tithes and offerings, God, who, God, who are more interested, God, in using their resources their own way, God. God, I pray that you would literally move on the hearts of people, God, to repent, God, for stealing from you. And may, God, the curse, God, of poverty be broken over this church, Jesus. And may resources start to come in, God. May there be an abundance of resources through, God, the generosity of spirit-filled people in this church, Father. And may this church, God, be a place where, God, the windows and the and the doors are kicked open and blessings start to come, God, to such a magnitude it's almost, God, embarrassing. God, I pray, Father, that you would move, God, in this church in signs, miracles, and wonders, Father. May when the gospel is preached, it be accompanied, God, with healing, signs, miracles, and wonders, God. May never again there be a benign message released from this pulpit, God, but a message of power and fervor and conviction and anointing, God, that'll move people, God, into an encounter with you, Father. God, we're asking that this place, God, become a glory center, God. We're asking, God, that this become, God, a place, God, where people are born again, where people, God, are sanctified, where people, God, are healed and delivered and set free, God. If it says of the book of Acts, God, that every day there was added to the church those who were being saved let it be so of this church God that every day there's someone being added to this church God those who are being born again and those who are being saved come on God Come on, God, I know the heart of Mark and Darcy, God. They've been beat up and disheveled long enough, oh God. They have, God, tried and pushed and pressed in long enough, God, without any fruit for their efforts, God. Give them one or two intercessors who will stand with them, God. Call out men and women who will stay Darcy. Mark, I'm going to stand with you like Aaron and her. I'm not going to abandon the opposed. I'm going to stay with you. I don't care if the church dwindles down to five people. I'm going to stand my post because one day there's going to be a transformation in this church. One day the presence of God is going to move in. One day the glory of God is going to begin to manifest and people are going to start to get touched and healed and delivered. One day people are going to come from the east, the south, the north, and the west and they're going to know if they go to that church, they're going to be touched by something much different than what they're getting in the world. Make this church, God, a glorious church. Come on, God, the kind of church, Jesus, that you gave your blood for. Come on, God, a righteous church, a church, God, that is consecrated, set apart, called, God, and assigned by you to bring transformation in this community. Come on, God. If it makes people uncomfortable, so be it, Jesus. You make people uncomfortable, God. 
Your ways, God, are not man's ways. And God, the Word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is an offense. And it is an offense to those who live in compromise. So Father, these up front are saying, Come, come Jesus, come. Come any way you want to come. Any way you want to manifest. Any way you want to show yourself off. Just come. We want your glory. Come on, we want your glory. We want your glory, oh God. Come on, we want your glory. Come on, right? Amen. Come on, God. We want your glory. Call out men and women, God. Come on, right now. Call them out. Assign them to this, Jesus. Assign them, God. Assign them to this. Listen, the fact is, not everybody's called to this church. But there's a few people who are called to this church. And God, I'm asking right now, you call them out. And you say, look, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be a part of the coming revival. I want you to be a part of the coming move of God. Call them out, O oh God. Call out men and women, God, who are intercessors, who will stand, God, and hold their post. There'll be watchmen on the wall who will not leave their post, as Isaiah 63 says, God. They'll hold their post. Call them out, O oh God. Call out the intercessors, Jesus. Call them out, God. Call them out, Jesus. Call out the men and women who will labor through the night. Call out men and women who will fast for three days, seven days, ten days, thirty or forty days. Call out men and women, God, who will begin to labor in prayer in the midnight hours. Call out some men. I see some men that will say, Pastor, I'll give you from 4 a.m. until 6 a.m. every single day. I'll cry out for revival in this church. Come on, God. Call out the people in this church that want nothing more than you. Come on, call them out in this church, oh God. Call them out in Jesus' name. People, God, who have such a burn in their belly and a passion in their soul for the things of God, that, Father, they'll be willing to do anything for your presence. Come on, call them out. Call out the laid-down lovers. Call them out, oh God. Call them out, oh Jesus. Beckon them, Jesus, in this church. Call them out, Jesus, I pray. Call them out, God. Call them out. God, I'm simply asking that tonight and tomorrow night be the, the deciding factor that this church makes a decision. We're going after the glory. We'll pay the price. We'll cry out. And it doesn't matter the cost. Come on. That's all you're looking for is people who are willing to throw their lives away to you. People willing to waste their lives on Jesus. Call them out, God. Call them out. Call them out, God. Darcy, come here. I want you over here by your husband. Come here. Do you kneel down beside him? You guys who came forward, I want you to gather around, press around your pastor and his wife. Would you do that? Come on, just press around them. Just press around them. Press around them. Watch this. I'm going to read something to you. Now, this is Paul. Ready? Listen to what he writes. Paul's in prison. Ready? He's in prison. 
And he writes this church to his church in Philippi. Here's listen what he says, church, and then we're going to pray. Listen to this. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, unified in spirit and intent on one purpose. You know what Paul is saying? You really want me to be happy? Share my heart. I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I can say this because I know. I know Mark. I don't know him, but I know Mark. But I'm going to tell you, I know the heart of the pastor because I am one. Betty, he appreciates the cards, the gifts, the money, and all of that stuff. But in the final analysis, I'll tell you what he bleeds for is a group of people that will join him in pressing after the presence of God. Come on. That's what he wants more than anything. And if you guys right here in this circle... If you guys will say, all right, Mark, Darcy, we're all in. Are you guys all in? Seriously, are you all in? Not playing games, right? Come on, you're all in. Because there may be hell to pay. You understand, Paul was known in hell because he was so fearless for God. You guys willing to pay that price? Hello? Amen? Okay, God heard you. Then be like-minded and join this couple and say, all right, we're going to become a house of prayer. We're going to become a house. We'll pay the price to become a house of prayer. However, it's going to manifest in this church. This church may not look like Corey Jones or the church down the street. In fact, it shouldn't. It should look like what Jesus wants it to look like. It'll have a thumbprint, but this much for sure, it'll be identified as a house of prayer. Some of you, God's going to wake you up in the middle of the night to become an intercessor. He says, what's that mean? Well, he'll tell you when he wakes you up. Some of you, he's going to disturb your sleep. Some of you are not going to be able to go to sleep because he wants to talk to you. And that's okay. Now look at this. There's enough in this group right here to start a revolution for the kingdom of God. There's enough right here. It's not how many, it's how influential. You don't need a lot of people. You just need people who are absolutely sold out to be a house of prayer. There's enough. This is a core right here that we could start a church with. It's phenomenal. All right? I want you guys now to begin to lift your voices for this couple. Come on, just lift your voices. Come on. Come on, let them hear you pray. Come on. Come on, lift your voices. Come on, lift your voices. Yeah, God. Come on, God. Yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. Yeah, God. Yeah, God. That's it, God. Call out the intercessors, God. Come on, call them out. Call out, God, those who will stand watch, God. Come on. Call out those, God, who are the intercessors. Call out those, God. Call out the prophets. Come on, God. Call out the seers. Call out the dreamers, God. Call them out, oh God. Call God. Call them out in Jesus' name, God. Come on, call them out. I pray there'll be those, God, who arise, God, in the, in the morning hours who will pray, God. There'll be those, God, who will remain at prayer, God, at the midnight hour. Come on, God. There'll be people that will stand their post, God. They will stand their post, oh God. They will not relent, oh God. They will not turn back, oh God. Come on, God. They will be people, God, who will, God, day and night, Isaiah 62, day and night, God. They will not keep silent, God. 
They will not keep silent, God. But they are a watchman on the wall. So God, raise them up, O oh God. Watchman, God. Watchman on the wall, God. Who will cry out, God. Who will not be sleeping sentries. But God will be men and women who will stand guard, Father. But we know, God, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy but Father, you come to give life and life to its fullness. So Father, I pray that through the perseverance of these saints, God, you begin to give life and life to its fullness, God. Come on, God. Come on, Father. Come on, Jesus. Right now, Father. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. Fresh baptism. Fresh anointing, God. God. Come on, God. Come on, Jesus. Fresh call. Fresh baptism, God. To stay on the wall, God. Come on, Hebrews 10.38. This will not be a couple that shrinks back, God. Come on, God. It will not be a couple that shrinks back, God. They've paid a tremendous price in these 25 years, God. So, Father, I break off all the lies the enemy has spoken to them in the midnight hour. Come on, God. I, I sever. I sever all that junk, God. I know, God, that, that how the enemy plays mind games, God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Mind games, God. The mind games that the enemy plays, that this couple is, inval- is not valuable, that this couple, Father, has, 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 has done a poor job at leading this church. God, I know the lies the enemy has, and, and this church should have been further down the road by now, God. And all of that garbage that the enemy plays, God, he lies. He's a deceiver. John 8, 44 says he speaks deception. He speaks his essence. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he still still kills, kill, steals, and destroys, God. So now, God, we pray in Jesus' name, the loudest voice they'll hear is the voice of the Father that says, well done, well done. Come on, God, well done. They're going to build a house of prayer because that's what Jesus wants. That is an alignment with you, God. And there'll be a day, Father, when the fruit will be mighty, when the presence of God will be so thick, oh God, that people will sense it, God, miles away. Oh God, come on. And the talk of the town will be, hey, if you go to that church, wow, you're going to get touched. You're going to get healed. Your marriage is going to be restored. You go to that church and something's going to happen in your heart. Go to that church and your mind's going to be renewed. Go to that church and you're going to get addictions broken off. Go to that church and you're going to find help and healing. Go to that church and something extraordinary is going to happen to your family. Come on, God. That's the reputation of the kingdom, Father. It's like in Mark chapter 1, Jesus, when you begin to heal everyone, and, and, and it says that they came from all over the city and stood at the doorstep, God. I'm praying that people all over this city will come to the doorstep of this church, God, because they hear about the glory that is manifesting in here. And God, it's, it's not going to be overnight. We understand that. But this group is just committed to pay the price to receive the blessing. And so, God, if they pay the price, they'll get the blessing. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Look at you guys, man. You guys are just awesome. You guys are just, you're just a bunch of Jesus freaks. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen.